Hey guys, Ashley here with Crime Salad Podcast, and with me always is my partner in crime, Ricky. Hey guys. The name Judith Barcy might not sound familiar to you at first, but we're sure once you saw a picture or heard her voice, you would immediately recognize her as Ducky from Land Before Time, with the famous words, yep, 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 or Anne Marie from All Dogs Go to Heaven, the young girl who friends two dogs and teaches them the importance of love and friendship. Or maybe Thea from Jaws the Revenge. And we know this case is going to be a tough one to get through. Because just like Ricky and I, as kids, not knowing who Judith was at the time, we were naturally huge fans of the character she voiced and played. We believe that this amazing young star story is an important one to tell, but you should also be warned, this story includes serious instances of domestic and child abuse. Please enjoy another one of our Crime Solid episodes if this one sounds like a little too much. Judith was a successful and beloved child actor in the 1980s. While to the public she seemed like a happy little girl, her life at home was full of fear, anxiety, and pain at the hands of her over-controlling father. Long before Judith was born, her mother Maria migrated to Los Angeles with her family from Soviet-occupied Hungary in 1956. She had grown up fairly well off in a rural university town in Hungary, but when she moved to the United States, she started working as a waitress in a restaurant to make ends meet. This restaurant was frequented by other Hungarian immigrants, and it was here that she met her future husband, a man named Joseph Barsi. Maria learned that Joseph had left Hungary around the same time as her, and had ended up in LA as well, though Joseph had traveled around Paris, New York, and Arizona before settling in Los Angeles. Unlike Maria's more wealthy upbringing, Joseph grew up in a much rougher, more industrialized part of Hungary and was often made fun of at school. His family was poor and his father wasn't in the picture. In Joseph's Hungarian hometown, the idea of the strong family unit was deeply important and Joseph suffered from the stigma of coming from a broken family. During his short time in France, Joseph met another refugee named Clara, who became his first wife. The couple had two children in the late 1950s, a son, Barna, and a daughter, Agnes. The family moved from France to New York and finally to Arizona. According to Agnes, Joseph had been aggressive towards Clara, particularly when drinking, and when he began to extend that violence towards Barna, Clara ended the relationship. When his marriage with Clara ended, Joe moved from Arizona to California, bringing his tough spirit in the nickname Arizona Joe with him. He got a job as a plumbing contractor in Los Angeles and began to build his life and reputation there. He told his friends that he had served time in New York for killing a man during a fight. Although criminal records don't corroborate this, he also claimed to have lost vision in one eye during a fight. He wasn't afraid to come at people, especially those he suspected of making fun of his accent. When he wasn't playing tough, he was showing off his money, paying for cheap drinks at Maria's restaurant with $100 bills. 
Joe appeared to Maria to be a charming man who could provide and protect his family. The two married in 1977, and only a short time while after the wedding, Maria discovered she was pregnant. They had their first and only daughter on June 6, 1978, Judith Barcy. Judith Barcy was a bubbly, happy girl with blonde hair and blue eyes. She was a bit small for her age, but this worked in her favor when she began her acting career. Though her family was doubtful, Maria began to coach Judith to be posed and professional, helping her with her posture and voice. These lessons paid off quickly when Judith was five years old. Judith was ice skating at a rink in the San Fernando Valley when a crew happened to be filming a commercial. Awed by her grace and thinking she was only three years old due to her smaller size, they hired her on the spot and Judith's acting career in Hollywood began. Because she was so petite, she was easily able to play characters much younger than she was. While Judith wasn't quite as famous as other child actors during this time, she still managed to do very well in just a few short years. She starred in over 70 commercials for well-known brands like McDonald's and Lay's. She portrayed characters in popular TV shows such as Growing Pains and Punky Brewster. Her first feature film was Fatal Vision, where she played a three-year-old girl who was killed by her father, a role which feels horribly and tragically ironic giving her feet. She lent her voice to many animated films, voicing Anne-Marie from All Dogs Go to Heaven and Ducky from The Land Before Time. It's Judith's cheerful, adorable voice that gave us Ducky's iconic catchphrase, yep, yep, yep. Judith's character in Hollywood was primarily supported by her mother, Maria. She knew it would be a one in a million shot to have her daughter make it as an actress, but her training, support, and confidence helped ensure Judith's success. By the time Judith was only nine years old, she was making about $100,000 a year. The Barcy family used this money to buy a modest home in West Hills, Los Angeles. Despite the success of Judith in her career at such a young age and the first few years of Maria and Joe's marriage being happy, home life for Maria and Judith began to grow more difficult. Joseph's drinking had gotten worse, and the more he drank, the worse his temper would become. Even after Judith was making a good deal of money, Joseph kept his job at the plumbing company, but he would often skip work due to excessive drinking the night before. As Judith's career in Hollywood took off, Joseph's anger and control over his wife and daughter became more and more severe. In the late 1980s, Judith's agent, Ruth Hansen, began to notice the young star's mood changing. She was no longer the happy-go-lucky girl she used to be, due to a home life that was full of violence and anger. Joseph, obsessed with having a perfect family, would frequently threaten his wife and child that he would kill them if they ever left. He told his brother-in-law, if the family life is gone, then life is not worth living. In one instance, when Judith was leaving to go film Jaws The Revenge, Joseph held up a knife as he was saying goodbye and said, if you decide not to come back, I'll cut your throat. Understandably so, this warning haunted Judith. And when she'd call home while away, her father would remind her of his words. Being so afraid and upset, Judith and Maria 
who was accompanying her while filming, decided to cut their trip short and come home to Joseph. This instance was only one of many, many times that Joseph threatened his family with violence. His friend and fellow plumber, Peter, said that Joe had told him 500 times that he was going to kill his wife. Peter would try and calm Joseph down by asking what would happen to little Judith, but Joe would respond only by saying, I gotta kill her too. When he wasn't threatening Judith and Marie, he was threatening to kill himself as a way to make them suffer. Some neighbors speculated that Joseph's growing rage was because he was jealous of his young daughter's success and wealth, feeling like as the father he was supposed to be the one bringing in the money. Co-workers also said that Joe was embarrassed of his Hungarian accent and upbringing. Maria, when they would fight, which was often, would tap into Joe's shame from growing up without a traditional family. She would call him a bastard, which only fueled his anger. Joseph claimed to value family, his family above all else, but rather than give them care and love, he was violently possessive of Judith and Maria. In 1986, Joe's behavior seemed like it was reaching an all-time low. He was arrested three times for driving under the influence and had moved from just verbal abuse to now physically abusing his wife, throwing pots, pans, and other things at her when they'd fight. Maria decided to file a police report against him, but when investigators were unable to find any physical evidence against him, they closed the case without looking any deeper. Around this same time, Joe decided to quit drinking in order to win back Maria's trust and affection. For two years or so, he was sober, but when she understandably wouldn't reconcile with him in ways that he wanted, Joseph's anger returned and worsened. When he wasn't brooding over Maria's lack of forgiveness, he complained about the way she was taking care of the house. In an attempt to humiliate her, he would bring his friends inside just to show off the mess around the house. Tensions grew worse and worse as his temper soared, and Joseph started drinking again. Neighbors and family friends shared later on many tragic stories of what Maria and Judith endured during these final years of their lives. In one instance, a neighbor had saw that Maria had bought a kite for Judith. Joe grabbed it and broke it into as many little pieces as he could. He pulled Judith's hair and screamed when she was upset about losing the new toy, as any little girl would be. Joseph bought her a pink TV to apologize. In another story, a family friend recalled Judith crying to them, saying, I'm afraid to go home. My daddy is miserable. My daddy is drunk every day, and I know he wants to kill my mother. Joseph reportedly hid passports and messages from their extended family in Hungary, so they wouldn't be able to leave the United States or him. By all accounts, many people knew about the physical and verbal abuse. Joseph had threatened Maria, Judith, and his own life many times, and though many reported knowing about it, very little was ever done to stop it. The horrendous and endless abuse that Joseph inflicted on his wife and daughter would have been difficult for anyone to bear, but Judith was only just a young girl, not even 10 years old. While she was initially able to keep the darkness of her home life hidden, her fear of her father and being home had escalated so much 
that those around her knew that something was wrong. She had begun to put on weight from the stress. She pulled out her own eyelashes and she pulled out the whiskers of her cat. It was May of 1988 and Judith was scheduled to sing for an audition for an upcoming animated movie. It was during this audition that her agent Ruth Hansen realized just how bad things had gotten. During the audition, Judith was crying so hysterically she couldn't bring herself to talk. Ruth reached out to Maria, pushing her to take Judith to see a child psychologist. Though details of what was learned during the meeting with Judith couldn't be shared publicly, the therapist told Ruth that Judith had extreme verbal, mental, and emotional issues and that she would have to report it to Child Protective Services. Though CPS did investigate, Maria reportedly told them that she had a plan to get away from Joseph that she felt safe with, and so the agency decided to step back to let Maria handle the situation on her own. According to Ruth Hansen, though, Maria claimed that it was CPS who determined that they couldn't do anything to help Judith, leaving Maria to figure out a course of action herself. To get away from Joseph Barcy, Maria had rented an apartment in her own name in Panorama City, a neighborhood in Los Angeles, in May of 1988 after closing the case with CPS. Judith and Maria would spend days there while Joe got drunk at their West Hills home, but still returned to him each night. While renting the apartment was the first step in getting away from Joe, many were frustrated by how slowly things were moving. Maria was hesitant to leave their home and their things that Judith's acting career had brought them. Maria believed that they had worked so hard for these possessions and deserved to have them, not Joseph. Maria told Ruth that she was willing to give it until Judith's birthday in June before leaving, but by the time July rolled around, Maria still hadn't left Joseph or the home. On the morning of July 25th, 1988, Judith was seen riding her bike around the neighborhood where she lived with her parents. Well, later that afternoon, she missed an appointment she had with the production company Hanna-Barbera for a new voice acting role. Maria didn't call ahead or explain after why her daughter missed. July 25th was the last day Judith Barcy was seen alive. Joe reportedly told Ruth Hansen that Maria and Judith were in San Diego. The next night, Ruth received a call from Joseph telling her that he was planning on leaving the house, only staying long enough to say goodbye to his little girl. And at the time, she had no idea what he meant by this. On the morning of July 27th, a neighbor, Eunice Daly, was outside watering her garden when she heard an explosion and saw smoke coming from the Barcy residence. Eunice called 911 right away and tried to put out the fire with her garden hose to little avail. Maria had mentioned to Eunice that Joe had threatened her and Judith only days earlier, so Eunice feared that she knew exactly what had happened. When firefighters and police arrived at the scene, they found three bodies inside the home. Judith, only 10 years old, was found shot in her bed. Maria was found dead in the hallway. Investigators assumed that Judith had been killed first, and when Maria heard the gunshot, she tried to rush to her daughter's room. Then Joseph found her and killed her in the hallway. 
Both Maria and Judith's bodies had been badly burned in the fire, so the coroner was unable to determine an exact time of death, though they suggest that they could have been killed as early as the 25th, two days before the fire. Joseph's body was found in the garage with a murder weapon, a 32 caliber pistol in his hand. After murdering his wife and daughter, Joseph Barcy doused the house in gasoline, started the fire, and took his own life by shooting himself on the morning of the 27th. What we and so many others wonder is, how was no one able to stop this tragic loss? Joseph Barcy had been making threats to harm his daughter and wife for nearly five years, and many friends and neighbors knew this. On the day of the fire, Eunice Daly learned what had happened to her neighbor, and her first thought wasn't that of a surprise, but she knew it was Joseph who was to blame. Though Maria Barcy had gone to Los Angeles County Department of Children's Services for help before her murder, and the investigation was closed by her choice, many suggest that this case wasn't managed properly. The social worker who had assigned Maria and Judith's case was also working on 66 other cases at the time, nearly 30 more than a social worker should be assigned. In reviewing the case files after their death, a woman by the name of Helen Kleinberg, who works for the Commission of Children's Services, said that one of the reasons the county didn't act to better protect Judith was she was only suffering from emotional abuse, not physical abuse. While emotional abuse can be just as damaging for a child and clearly was for Judith, this made it easier for those looking at her case to dismiss what they saw in the Barcy family. Much of these shocking oversights that help contribute to a lack of intervention on Judith's behalf are due to a lack of funding for these social services in the county. Kleinberg told reporters that they had the money to take Judith out of her home with Maria and Joseph, but that would have separated her from her mother, which they did not want to do. They didn't have enough money to monitor Maria and Judith from their home, which might have helped them see the many red flags being raised. The director of Department of Children's Services, Robert Chaffee, defended the agency and said that it was at Maria's request that the case was closed. Family friends also offered to help Maria and Judith find a safe place to stay, but she refused them as well. She promised that she had a plan in place and that she didn't need help to get her daughter safely away from her abuser. While perhaps she did have a plan, she wasn't able to follow through in time to save her own life or her daughter's. On August 9, 1988, Judith and Maria Barcy were buried side by side in Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Los Angeles. Their graves were initially left unmarked, but in 2004, unnamed fans gathered money to have headstones placed for them. Judith has Ducky's signature line from the land before time, yep, 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 and Joseph's grave is unknown, but at least not near Maria and Judith, finally giving them peace from their tormentor. Just recently, in October of 2020, 32 years since the horrible murder-suicide, the house where all of this happened was featured on a show on the now-defunct streaming service Quibi. The show Murder House Flip featured the Bernal family who had moved into the refurbished Barcy home 19 years ago, 
10 years after Joseph murdered his family. According to the show, the Bernal family experienced many strange happenings in the home. They would randomly feel severe cold spots in the home and the garage door would open and close by itself. Their young daughter Gabby, whose room used to be Judith's, would often experience terrible nightmares. Through the renovations on the show, the Bernal family was able to find peace in the home where such horrible things had occurred. Whether or not you believe in the supernatural, the show helped to highlight Judith's career and legacy so many years after her death. Now, nearly 40 years later, many are just learning about Judith Barcy's story through true crime podcasts like ours, or from watching her act in shows from the 80s and wondering where she is now. It is heartbreaking that Judith and Maria weren't able to get away from their abuser, and that the world didn't get to see this young, lovely star grow and become even more successful. This concludes this week's episode of Crime Solid Podcast. If you or someone you know is suffering from domestic abuse, visit thehotline.org for resources or call 1-800-799-SAFE for help. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Crime Salad is a Weird Salad production. Are you kidding me? That was perfect. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.